0: But the comfort of Christmas is that the Lord himself will act, that it was he who carried us all along.
1: Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. everybody good morning my name is Riley I'm one of the ministers here at the church and I am not the preacher today Uh, but before we dive into the sermon there's a couple different things that I want you to know first today we are starting a new sermon series this is called a weary world rejoices and over the next month as we prepare for Christmas we're going to talk about how Jesus brings hope to the world And what we're specifically going to do is look at different prophecies from Isaiah in the Old Testament, things that he said about Jesus hundreds of years before he was born. Today, we're also going to have a guest preacher. That is Ryan Hardy. Ryan is one of our global impact partners. He's a great guy. Ryan kind of grew up in our church and found faith here. And then he went off to seminary. He met his wonderful wife, Sarah, there. They have three great kids, Jonah, Solomon, and Elsie. And they've actually been in the States for a while because Elsie was born just a few months ago. Uh, Ryan and Sarah serve with Pioneer Bible, tro- sorry, Pioneer Bible Translators in Papua New Guinea and do different things with them. Ryan is a translator for the Sobe people. And while Ryan's been here in the States the last several months, he's actually been working on drafting the Gospel of Mark. So we're really excited for him to be here with us today. He's got a great message for us. So please join me in welcoming Ryan Hardy.
0: If, if Christmas is the best time of the year, then why do we feel persistent heartache? Why do you feel a bubble of expectations that feels like it's just about to burst? Do you feel it? The Christmas season is so laden with expectations of ideas how, of how things should be and how things used to be. You mourn even as you celebrate. You feel that constant ache in your heart, that pit in your stomach. But wait a minute. Aren't we all primed up to be holly and jolly? We're primed up for peppermint lattes. Endless baked goods, glittery presents under the tree, the smell of freshly cut pine, in our homes, the Hallmark Christmas movies where the girl finally realizes that her big city fiance finance guy is never going to make her as happy as her old high school flame. <laughs> Maybe this Christmas, we'll see family that we haven't seen since before the pandemic started. Maybe we'll have a white Christmas this year. Maybe our families will be able to get together and it'll just be peaceful this time. Maybe your mother and your wife can get along. Maybe your uncle with the questionable political beliefs won't be able to get off of work. (laughs) Maybe you'll get your wow Christmas gift this year. Maybe you'll get a Christmas bonus at work that'll make it so that you can buy all the gifts for all the people on your list and not feel financial stress. Maybe you and your spouse can make it through all of Christmas Day. Without fighting. Maybe. Maybe. Listen to all that hope. All that promise. Such feeling wrapped up in the word maybe. And then the evening of Christmas comes around, the sun goes below the horizon, the kids are off to bed, and you're left with a messy house, and all of those saccharine feelings that have been building through all of December are nothing but a puddle of melancholy on the floor. The Christmas music that our culture gives us reflects this, doesn't it? I found a BuzzFeed News article. It was titled The 22 Saddest Christmas Songs of All Time. You'll see some of what I think are the lowlights coming up on the screen now. At number 22, we have the classic Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart, but the very next day you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Merry Christmas. My own personal drag is the old Bing Crosby song. I can't stand it. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. And they have all those musical chords with all the like nice sevenths in them that really just start to tear at your heart, just the right amount of dissonance. Here's one for our Swifties. Taylor Swift sings, I know this shouldn't be a lonely time, but there were Christmases when you were mine. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) But let's be honest about something. The Christmas season can really hurt. Hopefully you've had Christmases in the past that were magical. But with that memory comes something else that's insidious. Nostalgia. Why can't Christmas this year be like the Christmases when I was a kid? Listen, church, you are sitting in, in seats this morning surrounded by people who are tired and weary and who are afraid of tomorrow. You are surrounded by people who are staring down their first Christmas without their spouse, their first Christmas without their child. People who have to reimagine the holidays because they've been alienated from their families in the past year. People who want to give a happy Christmas to their kids, but they just can't afford to do it. People who will be evicted before Christmas even comes. People who have to celebrate Christmas in a house full of all of the people who have hurt them the most deeply, the people who have abused them. Christmas might mean joy to some people, but sometimes, sometimes, it is also the deepest ache, a broken heart, and the most acute loneliness. So what should we do? Am I really going to come up here and scold you for enjoying the holiday season this year? Should we apologize for feeling joy? No. Should we have just flipped the calendar straight from November to January and skipped the whole fair? Or do we just need to reframe the Christmas season? I think that's where our discussion leads us. A few minutes ago, Riley introduced our new sermon series, A Weary World Rejoices. I have the assignment of the comfort of Christmas in that series. The next few Sundays will be, leading up to Christmas, we're going to be walking through passages, songs in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. I, personally, I think Isaiah is the Old Testament prophet who saw the most clearly the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ. So we're going to take a, a look at a few of the songs that he left us of the coming Messiah. Today we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 40. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open to Isaiah chapter 40. You've got a smartphone, pull up your Bible app to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm going to start just by reading the first five verses of the chapter two. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now maybe this is a familiar text to you. Maybe it's not. I just wanna take a minute And step back and understand who Isaiah is speaking to in this song. And I think that when you take a look at who he's speaking to and how it applies, I think you'll realize how deeply and richly this song sings sings to us today. So just a little background, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah come to us, uh, to God's people, the nations of Israel and Judah, maybe around 700 B.C., 740 B.C. God's people found themselves as a small nation standing in the middle of the world's great powers, Egypt and Assyria. There's some other strong nations around them, too. And all of these nations have threatened Israel and Judah. God's people had fallen into one of the great blunders. They were involved in a land war in Asia really? Nobody? Okay. (laughs) They were tempted to pick sides, pay tributes to Egypt or or Damascus or Assyria for protection. The promise God had made to David was that he would always have a son on the throne of Israel. But that promise seemed less than certain. What kind of king wants to pay an even greater king for the privilege to sit on his own throne? And through all this, the people were tempted by the gods of the nations around them. The question that Isaiah deals with over and over is this. Is the God of Israel and Judah strong enough to save and preserve his people from the gods of the other nations? Can God protect us and our land? Or should we just make alliances with the great powers around us? The way that God's people answered this question sealed their fate. Despite God's warnings, the people had gone after the gods of the nations and made alliances. The northern kingdoms of Israel were led off to captivity in Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah was led off to captivity sometime later to Babylon. And the king of Judah, the heir to God's promise to David that he would always have a son on the throne, was dethroned and put in prison in Babylon. David lost his throne Things were bleak. God had promised Abraham that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, that they would be a great nation living in a land of their own. But all these promises, they look so lost, so distant. These words in chapter 40 come to God's people at the bleakest moment comfort, comfort, comfort. The land is gone. The nation. Barely recognizable among the nations of Assyria and Babylon. A blessing to all the peoples of the the earth? Lord, we're just fighting for survival. How will we ever get back to the way things were before? How do we get back to the good old days? The golden days when everything was right? Do you know what I think we're afraid of with that question? You know what I think we're afraid of? that God won't be able to do as well in the future as he's done in the past. That maybe God already did his best for us. That maybe God has already shot his shot. That maybe our best days with God are behind us. So it's in this despair, Isaiah speaks these, word, these words from God to the captives. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this text, I hear it like comfort, comfort, like, oh, there, there, my sweet little child. It's like the words that your mom used, and you got a pat on the head because you, you fell down, you skinned your knee, but you're going to be fine. These words can sound a little dismissive. God, do you know the pain that we're in here? I didn't just skin my knee, Lord, I am bleeding out. Lord, you promised to make us into a great nation, to give us the land where our fathers walked. Lord, why can't things be the way they used to be? Is it because you don't care, Lord? Or is it because you're just not able to fix it? But that's not actually what's happening here. These words, comfort, comfort, my people, they are pointed and forceful. I think we could bring this into English a little bit better by saying, take heart, my people, take heart. Stand up and be of good courage, says your God. <clears throat> it's an imperative. It's a command to take, take heart. It comes with empathy. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and cry out to her that her hard days are over. You've been afflicted. You've despaired. You've imagined that I've forgotten you or left you to your enemies. But when all seems lost, the Lord then moves toward his people and speaks a command. Take heart. Comfort. Lord, how can I take heart? Don't you know that we're prisoners of our enemies? You're speaking to Jerusalem, but we're all the way over here in Babylon, Lord. Everyone around me is celebrating the most joyful time of the year, but I am drowning in grief. I am losing myself in fear. Where's the comfort of Christmas? Here's what I love about this passage, though. It's not just that God left his people in captivity for a while in Babylon and then just kind of came along. It's like, okay, that's enough. Come home. They weren't just in like God's time out and they get let out to come back and just go back to doing whatever they were going to do. They weren't grounded, drowning in grief just for God to walk by and say, Oh, cheer up there. No. God is going to move in a way that is new and different and even better than what he's done before. Once before, God's people left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness. And they were given their homeland in Canaan. But now, we see in verses 3 and 4 here in our text, God himself is coming in from the wilderness. God isn't just opening the door for his people to return from exile. He's coming to Jerusalem from the wilderness. Now he's the one coming in from the wilderness. Church, not only is God able to do as well today as he's done in the past, he's able to do more. The Lord comes with new strength, with a strong arm ready to do something new, something deeper, and richer than whatever you were nostalgic for. God's people, they do indeed come back to Jerusalem from exile. We just studied this a few weeks ago in our Nehemiah series. Do you remember all the blocks that were up here on stage, and you got your own little block to take home with your life? You could write your life's purpose on it. I wrote the So Bible on mine. That was their return from exile. But on this side of the coming of Christ as a baby, as a man, we read this text a little bit differently. The beauty of Advent is this. It's a season of quiet waiting and preparation. God has acted in history to redeem his people. Take heart because he redeemed his people from Egypt. Take heart because his people come back from exile. Take heart because all of history is marching toward a time when God will act with finality to make everything better than it has ever been. The comfort of Christmas is that whatever has come your way in 2022, whatever life has brought you, whatever curveballs you've been thrown, whatever grief you carry, the tender voice of Jesus calls to you. Take courage, comfort, take heart. I'm coming soon. I want to pause here for a minute and tell you a story from our life in Papua New Guinea. I promise I'll come back around to Isaiah 40 here in a few minutes and tie this this story into it. Earlier this year, my wife Sarah and I, we were privileged to be part of a project to install clean drinking water access in our village in Papua New Guinea. There should be some pictures coming of it here in just a second on the screen. Our village is called Igwe, and it's part of the Sob language, the language we're translating the Bible into right now. Anyway, until, until this year, until May, the people in, in Igwe, have their, their, their drinking source is a cold spring at the base of our mountain. The problem is, our mountain and where our village is is at 2,000 feet, and the cold spring is all the way at the bottom. So it's always been difficult. It's always been a struggle for our people to get clean drinking water. They would go down with buckets a couple times a day and come back up the mountain with them. But... Because of the generosity of some of our partners, we were able to purchase all the equipment we would need to collect the clean rain that falls in the village. And we're in the rainforest, so rain's no problem, let me tell you. We set about buying the water tanks, the PVC pipes, the valves and the nails. We also got a drill and a grinder. Unfortunately, I was not allowed to use those, which was best for everybody. In the midst of this preparation and buying and planning, we were praying asking God that this physical gift of water would somehow be transformative spiritually too, that this gift of a cold cup of water would bless the Sob people richly for generations to come. But I was terrified. What if I fail? What if I buy the wrong things? What if we get to the village and we don't have all the equipment that we needed? You saw the picture. We got up there by helicopter. There's no hardware store anywhere to be found. It is a full day's walk just to get to the closest road, and that gets you nothing but a road. I was terrified that we would spend the money, buy the things, get the helicopter, and find out we didn't have everything we needed to install the water. So I was just groaning in prayer, God, please let this work. God, please let something good come from this. So I got to tell you, I wasn't ready for what happened on our arrival. I took the last helicopter up to the mountain after all the equipment had gone. And we unloaded our stuff, walked up to the house, put it in the house. And my friend Ari came and found me. He said, get settled in. After dark, come down. We're going to have night worship. I was a little surprised by that. It was just a random Tuesday. There was no reason why we should be having night worship. So I kind of looked at him puzzled. I said, what? He said, just, just come, you'll see. Okay. So I showed up to our village church about nine o'clock after dark with my flashlight and a lot of questions. And worship started. Ari started playing guitar. We sang some songs together. And then one of the old men stood up to pray. He prayed powerfully. He said this, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thank you for the gift of water tanks coming to our village today. Thank you for the good water coming into our village. We give you praise. And now, hear us as we cry out to you for our past wrongs. You've been good to us, but we've forgotten. You've blessed us, and we have done wrong. Friends, we had prayed for this water project to move forward. And I wanted to see some spiritual benefit, like I mentioned, but I never dreamed. They spent a whole week in prayer and fasting as a village. They spent the whole week preparing to celebrate how God had blessed them, to prepare for it, to give thanks for it. On day four after our arrival, the first two tanks were installed in the village and not 10 minutes after we turned the last screw, tightened the last bolt, the skies opened up with torrential rainfall and the tanks filled in a matter of hours. They were full. They had water in their village. And you know what they did? They went and got padlocks and put padlocks on the tank valves. And they said to me, we're not going to touch this water. We won't wash with it. We won't drink it until we have finished the work of reconciling with God and with each other. So the padlock stayed there for four more days. Until on the eighth day, they threw a party unlike any party I've ever seen in Papua New Guinea. They killed four pigs and put on a meal you wouldn't believe. The day started with worship. And this worship, yes, it was a few songs and some prayers, but you know what else it was? Every person in the village who had a conflict with another, they came forward, they reconciled in front of the church, they confessed their sins to one another. They made peace where there had been conflict. And only then, when that was over, Did we go outside? They took the padlocks off the tank valves. They put a hose on it and they sprayed each other with water. They laughed. That was a party like any other I've ever seen. They cried. They filled their water jugs. They washed their hands. And they gave thanks to God. I thanked God too. I had prayed for some spiritual benefit to come with this water, but I got to tell you to my shame, all I had in mind was like maybe some vague sense of gratitude that would seep into the people or maybe they'd be slightly more excited about our Bible translation project that's in progress or maybe the fledgling church in our village would grow a little bit because of it but the way the holy spirit moved the way the lord prepared the way he straightened the path of the of the he straightened the jungle path he scaled our mountain he made a highway in the hearts of our people and that day the glory of the lord came and we all saw it together something better came than what we had hoped for and for all of my worry, all of my anxiety about having the right parts, installing the tanks the right way, my fear of failure, all of that swallowed up with an invitation from the Lord to take heart. Take heart. Take courage that everything God has done in the past will find its completion in the future. So let's go back over to Isaiah 40. There's an important part of this chapter. It didn't make it into Handel's Messiah, so we don't know it as well. But I think it's good for us to notice it. I just told you a missionary story. You know what scares me about missionary stories? The missionary is always the hero of the story. I promise you it's a true story. But you know what doesn't make it into the missionary stories, the newsletters back home, the sermons? The days that we're too sick to get out of bed. The days... That it's too hot and we're too grumpy to notice the opportunity to serve our people in front of us. We have, yes, a draft of the Gospel of Mark upstairs in this church for the soap language. They have clean drinking water in the village, yes. And this is our work, yes. But you know whose work it is? It's God's. It's not mine. I want you, if you look at the whole chapter, Isaiah 40, and you just look at who's the actor, who is the agent behind every verb. I'm sorry, I'm a linguist, I'm a Bible translator, it's 950, and I'm gonna make you look at verbs on a Sunday. Look at the agent that's attached to each verb. Who's doing all the work in this passage? Sure, God's people, we, God's people, we get a few, we get told to take heart. We get to cry out. We get to see the glory of the Lord. We go up on a mountain and shout it out. But all the other verbs are God's. All the actions. He has pardoned. He has revealed his glory. His word stands forever. He comes with might. He rewards and pays back. He shepherds his flock. He carries the lambs. He measures the ocean in his hand. He has weighed the mountains. He's the one who brings pain. Princes and kings to nothing. He's the one who flung all the stars in the sky and calls them each by name. He is the creator of the the, ends of the earth. He doesn't grow weary. He gives strength to the powerless. And in all of that, all we have to do ourselves is to wait and watch and announce it. Sure, we could call on the gods of the nations and miss the strength of the God of all creation. We could trust in the strength of strong men. Or we could forget the one who sets up kings and deposes them. But when we do this, we lose sight of who it is who does the work. I've spent so much of my own life planning, spending my strength on every detail, choosing every word, hoping that some good would come from it. But it is God who comes to redeem his people. It's the Lord who carried the exiles back from Babylon. It's the Lord who inspires the Sob people of Papua New Guinea to turn to him. It's the Lord who will call every tribe and people, nation, every language, including the Sob, to his throne. It is the Lord Jesus that we wait for an Advent, who has once ransomed us from darkness and who will come again to take us to be his own forever. We might be alone at Christmas. We might face uncertainty and pain at Christmas, but the comfort of Christmas is that the Lord himself will act, and when all is said and done, there will be no doubt remaining that it was he who carried us all along, he who shepherded us, he whose strength it was, that was enough all along. Why is the best time of the year so hard? Why would we need comfort at Christmas? There was one more song on this BuzzFeed list that stood out to me, these 22 saddest Christmas songs of all times. There's one by Stevie Wonder. He sings the song Someday at Christmas. He writes this this line, Someday... All our dreams will come to be someday in a world where men are free maybe not in time for you and me but someday at christmas time The expectations and hype around christmas time they do something to us don't they The christmas music starts playing in the stores the day after halloween and suddenly we enter our annual christmas ritual Our culture sells us that it's the best time of the year. It's full of magic and happiness, but it fails to deliver, doesn't it? The hype does something to sharpen our senses. It puts us into this liminal space where suddenly we're able to see the pain and grief that we carry a little bit more clearly. The brokenness of the world that we live live in, the depth of human misery. Someday all of our dreams will come to be, someday in a world where men are free, but maybe not for you and me. But someday at Christmas time, that's the message we get from the world, from the world, but juxtapose that. God juxtaposes that against this. We hear these words from Isaiah at verse 27. Why would you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? That my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. It is him, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They, will, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Friends, every one of us is carrying pain into the Christmas season. Every person you see at your Christmas celebrations feels some pain, some grief some unmet expectation. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're tempted to think that nobody sees you. Maybe you think that no one knows the pain that you carry, that you can just muddle through somehow, that no one would understand the heaviness of your heart at Christmas. But let me tell you this. You won't find the comfort of Christmas under the Christmas tree or on the Hallmark Channel. You won't find the comfort of Christmas in a year that was just marginally better than the last one. You won't find the comfort of Christmas in the baked goods that you loved or your Christmas feast. It's not even in your family gathered together. All these things are good, yeah. They all have their place. But the comfort of Christmas is found in the everlasting God coming to us vulnerable the comfort of Christmas is that Jesus Christ has come and taken on our humanity, our human experience, our pain, our grief the creator of the ends of the earth has come to shepherd us, to carry us, to know us the comfort of Christmas is the greatest scandal in human history that God himself has become man one of us God has acted definitively to make what was grief and pain into something more beautiful and whole than it was even in the beginning. The comfort of Christmas is that the victory is won in the baby in the manger. That everything, everything that hurts today, Christ, our older brother, will set right when he comes again. This is the comfort of Christmas and everything we wait for in Advent. That Jesus Christ has come as a man And has taken our flesh. And now in Advent, we wait in joyful hope, knowing He will come again as victor over sin and death. That every person, every person missing from your Christmas table will rise to life when Christ returns. That your Christmas feast is only a shadow of the banquet that we will share together in the heavenly realms when Christ returns. That the poverty that you feel at Christmas will become riches. And glory beyond all knowing. That war and bloodshed and famine will find their end in Christ. And because he shares in our humanity, our humanity itself will be caught up into his divinity. And we will live with him forever. The comfort of Christmas is our sure and certain hope that all we need to do is wait Wait for the Lord and take heart. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, how good it is to be gathered together. Your people, we watch, we wait for your return. Lord, we gather together, some of us joyful, some of us in pain, and you have given us one to the other to be comfort. You have given us your son to be comfort. Lord, find us faithful when he returns. Make us ready for his return. Give us joy and peace at Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.